0: You're listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Welcome back to our series as we look at the Gospel of Mark, and it's kind of cool because we're journeying through the entire book of Mark together to kick off this year. Which, to me, it's crazy to think that February is almost over. It's like where to go, but uh, anyway, it's it's awesome. But our goal is to find some fresh perspectives about Jesus um, by looking at the people that we run into within the Gospel. And and what's really cool to see is that our entire church is going through this. So that means our kids, our students, our high schoolers, all of them are studying Mark together, which provides you a really cool opportunity to talk in the the car ride on the way home from from, uh, church or even throughout the week to be able to connect with them about what they're learning too. But here's what I'm also very sensitive uh, about, is that I I know that if you're brand new and your first time coming in, you can feel like, man, am I like in the middle of the conversation? Do I like really belong here? And I never want you to feel that way. We create every service to make sure that you can connect and each and every week, no matter where you jump in at things. So don't worry if this is your first day. Uh, And if you are brand new, just jump in this week. You're not going to miss a beat. And we've kind of created it that way. Uh, and, And if you're new, also to let you know, I'd love everybody to jump in on this, which is called the Mark Series Bible Reading Plan. It's a really cool thing. Five days a week, we send you a text message. You just click on it. gives you a little reading. It can be for your students or for your kids. Uh, and we're all reading it together. Over 1,000 adults and kids have already signed up for it. The, tre- the response has been tremendous with it. Um, I know my kids and I, we love to do it in the morning before they go off to school. We We've got to go through it, we talk a little bit about it, and, and before they head off, it's awesome. So wherever you're at, just, just jump in. You can use the QR code, jump in right where you're at, begin the reading plan with us over the next few weeks. So, all right, today... Chapter 8 is where we're going to be at in the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bibles or your Crossroads Grace apps, Mark chapter 8 is where we're going to be at. Melissa, please go ahead and put that link in there for our Crossroads online family. I would love if you could do that for us. Um, And as you do that, let me just remind you a little bit that over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at Jesus through the eyes of the religious. Now, the religious doesn't necessarily mean people dressed in robes, speaking old English that you can't understand. uh, Because we can be religious about a lot of stuff. Last week was a perfect example of that. On Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, 113 million people religiously watched that game last week. That's a lot of people, okay? Now, they weren't Bengal fan or Niner fans, but everybody else watched that game, which means that we could be religious about our team. We could follow our team to the very end of time. So it could be football, basketball, baseball. It could be a, an actor. It could be a hobby that you have. Might even be something negative, like an addiction all kinds of things we can be religious about just like people are religious about their faith. But what makes religiosity towards faith interesting is when the ones that are closest to God, the ones that believe in this faith that they have, that they seem to miss out on what God says or they're not doing what God tells them to do. It's when they're religious, when they're, being, when, when they're more concerned about being religious instead of following Jesus. Maybe you've experienced this before. Now, it's true. The Bible does talk about religion. So God isn't anti-religion, but it is very important to know what type of religion God seems as good. So James chapter 1, he, he spells it out for us. James chapter 1, verse 27. It says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, we should probably know that, he says is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So, What's important to note is that this type of religion we just read about, it's not self-seeking. It doesn't, it looks out for other people. It separates itself from the pollution of this world that oftentimes snag people that are faithful. But the sad part is, is that what we just read there, James chapter 1, verse 27, it's the exact opposite of what the religious leaders were doing at the time of Jesus, they were looking out for themselves instead of helping those that were less fortunate. Instead of lightening the people's load, they would put more weight, more expectation on them by adding extra laws saying that you need to do these things and these things in order to know God. Or so they told everyone. So so those that were religious were never looked favorably by the people. And especially not anyone that could come to, that came to them receive freedom. That wasn't a good thing because the religious, they were always too busy and caught up in in themselves, and and they never would serve the common person around them. They couldn't do that. But this is why Jesus was amazingly and profoundly impactful to the people he connected with. It was because he was bringing the love of God to the people and showing them, hey, this is what true religion's all about, that this is what faith should look like. And as he traveled from town to town, the amount of people that would come out to hear this new rabbi, this new teacher, this new religious leader, it was staggering, the number of people that came out. So I want us to continue in chapter eight because we're gonna see the same thing happening, a bunch of people coming to see Jesus And we're going to learn a lot from that today. So let's start in verse 1 of chapter 8 and read just a bit. It says, During those days another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. So so here we see Jesus. He's continuing to travel, go different places. He's still in the region of what's called the Decapolis, which means 10 cities, but it's really a Roman oasis of sorts. And because of that, this Decapolis would have had a bunch, bunch, bunch of Gentiles in it as opposed to Jews. So Gentiles are people that didn't believe in God necessarily, and Jews were the ones that did believe in the God of the Bible. But regardless Of what crowd Jesus was preaching in front of, he continued to teach and heal and love whoever came in front of him. And and the Bible tells us that this group of people was growing like a snowball, and over three days, it became really, really big. But I, I do think it's interesting that this is the second time in the last three chapters in the book of Mark that we come in contact with a group of people following Jesus religiously, but... Apparently had no time to meal prep, like, whatsoever, okay? I I mean, if this was team hunt, and we were heading out to the Jesus Crusade, I will tell you right now, Miss Cherie would have us ready to go, okay? We'd have a cooler. In that cooler would be some bubblies for moi. There would be some um, bottled water in there. There'd be some of those individually wrapped, like, meat and trees. Meat and trees, that's terrible, right? Meat and cheese trays, you know, with the almonds in them, not the almonds, but the almonds, like, right inside there, Some gluten-free pretzels would be there. And since we're from the Midwest, we would have a nice Chex mix to round it off. I mean, we'd be ready for the Jesus Crusades. But apparently following Jesus happened a little bit quicker back then because they don't have time for snacks when the Savior comes to town. So so here again, we got a large group of people, again, religiously following Jesus who are now a bit hangry. But but notice Jesus' response to the people. It says that he looked at them and he had, what is this, like he had compassion for the people. Now, guys, come on, that seems like a fairly flowery word, doesn't it? You know, like compassion for the people, right? It sounds like a, like a, like a scent that you would squirt on you, compassion, right? It doesn't sound very like, what? But when you look a little closer at the Greek, there's a lot that's there. So this word compassion is this cool word. It's svachnizma. You get to say with it, right? Svachnizma, okay? Now, here's what svachnizma means. It means to be moved as to one's bowels. That's a good word, right? That's pretty cool. Now, the reason for this is because the Greeks thought that the center of love and pity was in your bowels, Okay? Like in, the, in your guts, like deep within you. And I know you're fighting to be a junior high or a middle school boy and girl right now to say bowel movement. Just get it out of your way. It's all right, okay? right? But, but really, but what this means is that Jesus had this deep, deep, deep amount of love and pity for the people that he was in front of. He had compassion from them that was from the very, very core of who he was. But I can assure you that no religious leader, no Pharisee or Sadducee had splach nizma for anybody. Especially this crowd that Jesus was in front of. Because again, let's remember where Jesus is at. He's in the Decapolis. It's full of Gentiles. And, and people and Jews don't connect with Gentiles. So the, so the leaders, the religious leaders, they did not care about the Gentiles. But there's Jesus standing in front of a bunch of Gentiles, caring for people the culture, said that he shouldn't be caring about, and wanting to to make sure that he not only teaches them, but that he also feeds them. So he cared for them, mind, body, and spirit. It's as if he cared about the whole person. So as he looks out at this crowd, he speaks to his disciples about the concerns that he sees about the crowd that has kind of formed. And seeing this, where this is kind of headed, his disciples start to beat Jesus to the punch. And so look what it says in verse four. It says, His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? I'm not sure why, but every time I read about the disciples, they just sound more like my kids or like kids in general, right? You know, because, because like any kid, before you even ask them to help, aren't they just instantly thinking of excuses, just instantly? It's an amazing feature that kids have. It's default when they come out. They just, it's amazing. So, so listen to the, so imagine that like, almost like kids, and I, I hear the disciples saying things like, but, but Jesus, like we're in the middle of nowhere here. Like, in fact, I think I see one of those tan RVs over there with smoke coming out the sides, bullet holes in there, could be a meth lab, I'm not sure, probably not safe to just be out here. I'm also pretty sure that I don't see any food trucks in any vicinity, so we're not gonna get any food. So Jesus, not much we can do here with the whole food thing before we even ask. But to Jesus, this has to feel like deja vu because not that long ago, literally like the exact same thing happened. Chapter six, go read about it. Had a crowd of thousand people around him. They all, he, Jesus wanted to feed him. Disciples are like, ain't no way, bro, can't do it. And then Jesus asked nearly the same question in chapter eight, though. Here Jesus says this. He says, how many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. It's almost the same thing. But yet apparently the disciples had forgotten how the other version turned out. You know, the whole Jesus takes five fishes and two loaves and feeds 5,000 people. That must have slipped their minds somehow. I don't know how you forget that, but apparently they did. But oh my goodness, how often do we do that? with Jesus all the time. Jesus comes through, gets you that job at just about, at the right time, right when you need it, but then you get this little leak that starts to come at the the corner of your house at home, and you're like, well, Jesus is never there when I need him. Jesus provides for your family in ways that you could never have thought possible, miraculous, you almost would say, but your son goes to school, has a hard day, and you're like, Jesus never is there for me. turns his back on me all the time. Like, we have such a convenient amnesia when it comes to God, We have an amazing ability to forget about all that he's done so we have a reason not to trust him anymore. But the track record of Jesus is spotless. And he comes through every time on his time. And and so the splachnizma that he showed the crowd, Jesus did, he also showed it to his disciples. Because he doesn't get angry, he gets to work. He says to them, all right, hey, um, okay, what do we got to work with? And the disciples say, "Well, we got some like panera bread. Like that's about all we got. You know, we're gonna work with it." So Jesus is like, "Okay, I, I can work with that." So so look what happens. Verse verse six. Okay, uh, it-, it says he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. Then a few small fishes. Well, he gave thanks for those them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. So Jesus takes whatever they gave him and he provides for what they need. He has compassion on the crowd. He fills their stomachs with food and their souls with faith. And it all happened by using what he was given to work with. So, so what I think we need to really think about is, is this, is that Jesus will always work with what we give him. Jesus will always work with what we give him. <clears throat> did you ever stop and think about with Jesus, like what he could have done if the disciples had just looked like a little bit more than what they did? They're basically like, oh, we got bread. Like they're never even the checked. What else might Jesus have been able to multiply with the, the, to feed the people with? If he could feed 5,000 people and 4,000 people with a little Lunchable and some fish, you know, kind of going on, well, what else could he do with more? And I'd ask you and me the very same thing. When Jesus asks, hey, what, what do I have to work with here? What, what, will you, what will you give me? When it comes to your life, what are you willing to give Jesus and I think that we either downplay or completely disregard what we have to give him in our life. I truly believe it. Because we'll say things like this Oh, you know what? I'm just a man, I'm just a teacher. I mean, I can't be too Christian in my job, or I'm, I'm going to get in trouble. Instead of saying, Hey, I, I'm a teacher, I'm, I'm a police officer, I'm a, I'm a dental assistant, I'm a college student. I, I'm what? A, like, hey, God, like, this is what I. How can we? What can we do to tell people about Jesus with what I've got? Or, or we'll say things like, oh, man, there's not much I can do. I don't got a lot of money, God. Like, you couldn't possibly do anything with me. Instead of saying, okay, God, all right, this is what I got. Like, what can you do with this? Like, it's all yours. What can we do with this to, to, to tell people about Jesus? So what are you giving him to work with in your life right now? And what would it look like if you gave him more? Dare I say, what if you gave him all your life? What could Jesus do with our entire life and not just a few pieces of breadcrumbs that we give him from time to time? Because the Apostle Paul would tell us in Ephesians chapter three, some of the, I think some of the most powerful in all scripture, he says, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is in work with us. Guys, Jesus wants to do amazing things, right? Amazing things for him through your life. But he can only work with what you give him. He will not force us to do anything, but he also won't force his blessing on you either. No way. So so Jesus, he feeds 5,000 people before, but you should know those are all Jewish people. For the most part, all Jewish people. But then he feeds 4,000 Gentiles Which should show us that his love does not play favorites for anyone. It's a profound moment in Jesus' ministry that needs to hit us square between the eyes. That no matter who we are, where where we've been, whatever we're doing, Jesus still loves us and has compassion on us. Jesus asks us to trust him with whatever we have so he can give us whatever he has. That's what he wants to do. So this miraculous moment takes place. 4,000 people go away, all hungry, all fed and happy. It's yet another example of God's glory being done through Jesus Christ. But that's not where the story ends. In fact, let's look at what happens on the other side of this story. Verse 9, continue looking at with me. Verse 9, it says, After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. Dalmanutha. Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee. He gets to a city called Dalmanutha. And this is near a city that's known as Magadan. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you might be thinking like, oh, there's something familiar there. Well, it was a city where Mary Magdalene would have been from. Jesus interacts with her quite a bit throughout the Gospels. We'll get connected with her at Easter. So just kind of, that's the region that he was in. But, but as seems to be the custom, uh, Jesus gets off the boat, literally. He, he puts his feet on the sand, and all of a sudden he looks up, there's a crowd already there. But this time, the crowd is a bunch of Pharisees, a bunch of religious people who are never glad to see him. And as they look at him, here's the first thing that they tell him. Look at verse 11. It says, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. Are you kidding me right now, right? These dudes have to be joking. Like, what other sign from heaven do you need? I mean, just in the short amount of time that we've read about Jesus, chapters one through seven, he's been on the scene of history. Here's what we found out he's done so far. Cast out demons, healed blind people, deaf people, mute people, he healed crippled people, healed a woman that had a bleeding disorder for over 12 years, healed a child, walked on water, fed 5,000 plus people. Oh, and by the way, 15 minutes ago, fed 4,000 people again with fish and bread. What are you looking for? Sign from heaven. What are you looking for? But these religious leaders were so preoccupied with proving Jesus wrong that they were missing out on all that he was doing right. Maybe you know people like that too. So in response to this though, look what happens in verse 12. Verse 12, he, Jesus, sighed deeply. (sighs) Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign. Will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. I love details in the scripture, don't you? I, I love that it said that he what he he sighed deeply. Now, not to have too many nerdy Greek words for you to take home with you, but there's some really interesting things about this. This idea of sigh is this anastonazo. Anazo. Now, Anastanazo means this to draw up deep sighs from the bottom of the chest. Every parent in this room knows exactly what Anastanazo is, right? Okay, here we go, here we go. And you're not even out of bed yet, and you got one of those going, right? You might have had that out of the car just getting into the room. You might have had it as you dropped your kid off. Anastanazo all over the place, right? Pastor Dan, if you ever get to see Pastor Dan, he's got an honest and naso deep breath like you've never seen. He breathes, you're like, dude, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm happy. I'm like, I don't know, you're ready to kill me. Like, I don't know, it's crazy. Big, deep sighs, way from the chest. So just as Jesus had, had compassion for the crowd from the deepest part of who he was, he had an equally deep feeling of exasperation at the lack of understanding, at the lack of faith at these, at these so-called religious leaders. He he was just exasperated. He's like, I don't know how much more I could do to show you who I am to this world. He's just, he's done. And so what does he do? He gets back into the boat. He takes off on the other side of the lake. He's like, I'm done. But as Jesus leaves, and while he's on that boat, he takes a moment to teach his disciples really about what just had transpired. Look at verse 14. Verse 14. There in verse 14, it says, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Again, these are my kids, okay? You just got done with the feeding of 4,000 you got seven baskets full of bread, and you forgot bread? Where's your shoes, Easton? I don't know, Dad. Right, anyway, sorry, that's just, okay, sorry. Sorry. Like, Jesus says, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. So, so let, let me explain this a little bit more for you by just asking a, a quick question. Like, have you ever noticed how quickly weeds spread? Like, it's crazy. It's, no matter how militant you are on staying top of those bad boys, they still like, boop, 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 like, like wildfire. One day, you think you got them dead to rights. You go to bed just like, got them, right? You wake up the next morning, and there they are, taunting you through the window, right? Like waiting to steal your lunch money like a bully and Instagram reeling it for the world because they got you, you know? But but did you know that weeds are even more evil than you might think? Because did did you know that when you pick a weed up out of the ground, you're like, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to take it out. In its last defiant act of destruction, it flings weed seeds out as you pluck it out of the ground. Yeah, it launches one one, one fatalistic last stand, assuring its weed kin can survive as it's carried along in the Central Valley Wind Express, you know, and it's that spreading of the weed seed that causes your lawn and your neighbor's lawn and your neighbor's lawn and the neighbor lawn five miles away all to be transformed into a sea of weeds with just a smattering of actual grass tucked in on the crab grass. It's the cross-contamination that occurs that causes the weeds to grow so rapidly and feel like you're always a step behind. I have found the same weed seed bonanza happening in spiritual lives too. And sadly, sometimes it happens in those people that might call them faith, themselves faithful or even maybe even religious. We will let weeds of doubt and anger and bitterness and and, and, and lack of trust, all these all kinds of things creep into our lives and destroy the, the good seeds of the truth of Jesus Christ. And without much effort, we can find ourselves frustrated and lost and far away from God. Because Satan is amazingly sneaky, just like a weed, isn't he? Like when we try to uproot him from the soil of our life, he will try to fling even more sinful seeds as one last ditch effort to keep us from the truth of Christ. You've seen this happen. I've seen this happen. Like maybe for you, like you know, your addiction seems to get stronger when you say you're going to quit, your emotions become even more intense for that person when you decide it's an unhealthy relationship and you need to get out. Isn't it funny how new bills just pop up out of nowhere when you decide you're gonna get out of debt? These are those last-minute weed seeds that Satan is throwing at you, trying to get you distracted from staying faithful to what God wants to do in your life. You see, the Pharisees, the problem with the Pharisees, the Pharisees had started to think that their spiritual lawns looked really green, really lush, because they thought, well, I'm following all these laws, so it looks really good. But if you look closer, it was full of weeds, And it was choking out the faith that God wanted them to have. And so Jesus wants his disciples to avoid the weeds. He would call it the the yeast of the Pharisees' religion that wanted to compromise their true faith in the mission that God had for them in their life. So this is really what comes down to it is the fresh perspective we need to see about Jesus. It's this, that knowing Jesus is to have him spread to every part of who you are. That's the fresh perspective. Jesus wants nothing held back from him, he wants us to allow him access to every part of our life. And this should actually be the goal of anybody that says, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus. And and I know what you're thinking, well, that's good, got it, that's good to go, I'm gonna take that and see ya. But before we roll the black, roll the credits, just hang tight, the the story's actually not done. So check this out, a little while later, Jesus is traveling from different towns and different towns to towns. As he's traveling, he decides to circle back to this teaching he had with them on the boat as they were crossing the Sea of Galilee. And, and he asks his disciples a very important question. Start in verse 27, if you jump there. It says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, One of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? So part of avoiding the traps of religion and the weed seeds in our life is making sure that we know Jesus is real and that we know him for real. Now, now, not what the world tells you, not what grandma tells you, not what your Christian school logo tells you, not what Instagram tells you, but what does the Bible say, what does God say about Jesus? Jesus wanted to get down to the very bottom, the very foundational question with his disciples. He says, who do you say that I am? In this moment, Jesus doesn't care about the crowds. He doesn't care about the religious leaders. He's looking at the ones that are closest to him, that followed him, his disciples. He wants to make sure that those that have faith in him have the right version of him and not some counterfeit version that the weeds of religion were trying to convince them of. And oh my goodness, I cannot tell you how important this is for you to wrestle with. This question who is Jesus to you? Who do you know Jesus to be? It, is he a nice guy that gives you things like a spiritual Santa Claus? Is, is he a really great speaker that had some cool sayings that you could add to your social media post? Is he a genie in a bottle that when you need him, you rub the lamp, he comes out, he gives you what you want, but the second he's done, you put him back in the lamp? Is he a philanthropist that's done a bunch of really cool things for the world, but he is not God? Who is Jesus? Let me make it very practical, give you just something to really think about, right? Very clear, very practical. If your friend came up to you and asked you, who is Jesus, what would you say? And the answer to that question will determine what type of faith that you have. If your answer is rooted in religion or cultural relativity, where Jesus can be whatever you want him to be. Or is it actually rooted in what what Peter would say? In answer to Jesus' question of, who do you say that I am? Maybe you'd answer like Peter, who answered, you are the Messiah. Now, Now, keep in mind who'd answer this, right? Who answered this? Pretty easy class. It's an open book test. Peter did this, right? He's one of Jesus' closest friends in the world, one of the three people Jesus held closest to him. And, 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 he's also the one who Mark is talking to about his life. That's what he's writing the gospel to Mark about. He's, he's interviewing Peter, what he's telling you. And so right here, Peter nails it. Nails it. Peter says, Jesus, you are not just a great preacher. You're not a teacher. You're not a great healer. Just not a humanitarian. You, sir, are the Messiah. You are God. You came from heaven to earth to save all mankind. Boom. Mic drop. Peter. Yes, sir. Way to go. He nailed it. Standing. Oh, for Peter. He nailed it. It seems like Peter understands that, that, that knowing Jesus is to have him spread to every part of who you are. Like, Peter is on the top of his game, y'all. And, of course, he's going to make sure Mark gets that part right. Hey, hey, oh, hey, oh, Mark. Hey, you writing this down? Okay, good. Hey, remember this part. And when he says, who do you say that I am? I said, Peter answered, remember, you're the Messiah. Remember to get all that stuff in there. But before you get too far down this road, look what happens next. Verse 31. Look at verse 31. He, this is Jesus, then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Wait a minute. Peter, what what happened, bro? What's going on? Uh, for, the, for the very first time, Jesus is transparent in front of his disciples. He's very vulnerable in front of them. He says, hey, I'm gonna tell you exactly what's gonna happen in the near future. He looks them in the eyes and he says, listen, the religious leaders are gonna try me, they're gonna kill me, and I'm gonna resurrect from the dead three days later. And I also love what the scripture says. It says that he spoke plainly about it. No parables, no stories, no veiled messages, none of that. Nope, just, hey guys, listen, okay? Here's exactly what's going to happen, okay? They're gonna try me, they're gonna kill me, and I'm gonna resurrect from the dead. And then what does Peter do? Peter goes, Dr. Phil. Phil. Yeah, he pulls him aside. Jesus, come here, just a second. Hey, Jesus, listen, I think you might be tired, my friend. And I get it, you're crossing back and forth on the Sea of Galilee, I get it. But why don't we just rest a little bit? I mean, you took a nap in the middle of a storm on the cushion, let's go find your cushion, okay? Come and lay down your cushion and you can sleep off this whole trial, murder, resurrection thing. To which Jesus looks at Peter and calls him what? He calls him Satan, there's a lot of things that you don't want to be called in this world, you know? Cat lover, Dodger fan, Satan. Like, none of those things. You want any of those things to be associated with, right? But, 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 but what a flip, too. A couple verses later, he's like, you're the Messiah. Now you're Satan. Like, whoa, what's going on? But, okay, listen, this is, again, like, if you're here or you're joining, you're like, I don't know if this whole Bible thing's real. I don't think I can believe it. Listen, this is a reason you can know the Bible's true. Because since these are Peter's words to to Mark, right? Remember, right? Here's the deal. Don't you think you'd keep that part out? I mean, don't you think Peter would pull Mark aside? Like, okay, Mark, let's review this real quick here. Okay, buddy? We're going to keep the Messiah stuff in, but let's just keep the whole Jesus calling me Satan part out. Okay, right? That's what I would do. That's what I would totally do. Let's just erase that part, you know? But nope. There it is, for all the ugliness and all the rawness, Jesus calls Peter Satan. But why? Why would Jesus say that, not just to anybody, but to one of his closest friends? Jesus explains, he says this in verse 33, he says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now now stay with me this is important. The reason that this is important is because what he just said here this is the exact same reason the Pharisees and religious leaders could not see Jesus for who he is. It was because they were more concerned about themselves remember than other people. And even though Peter said Jesus you're the Messiah he and the other disciples were convinced that Jesus was actually going to be the king, the real king, that would rule, and they would get to rule with Jesus when they overthrew Rome. So that was the reason Peter could allow Jesus to say this bunch of crazy stuff about him dying, because if Jesus died, so was Peter's dream of power and influence. Which is why, after Jesus finishes yelling at Peter and calling him Satan... He says this, look at verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, listen, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels? Please listen to me. This is the core of faith in Jesus. This is the raw, unedited, no makeup, no Photoshop truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please, to follow Jesus fully means that you are willing to give up everything that the world has in exchange for him. That means you will say no to a bunch of things that the world says that you should say yes to. It means that you are going to have to wait and even though the world says just have it right now. It means that you are going to go places and do things that God has called you to do that will disrupt your comfort but will increase your faith. That you are going to stand up for Jesus at your dorm room, at your, at your home, at your work, even if it's hard. You are going to need to say no to your friends, even though every place that they want to go seems like a lot of fun students. You need to say no because you're doing something different. You are going to be generous with what God has given you when everybody else says, just be selfish. You are going to have to get real about your hurts, your habits, your hangups, your addictions, and stop living in denial about them and blaming everybody else. You are going to make decisions based on what God says and not what the most recent cultural trend says. You are going to die to yourself so you can live in him. And this and a thousand other things you're going to learn along the way as you learn to follow Jesus, and that's what it's all about. Guys, it will not always be easy, but it will always be worth it. Guys, knowing Jesus, is to have him spread to every part of who you are. See, a life that has been overtaken by weeds and not by the life-giving power of Jesus, it will result in some things, a hardened heart, blind eyes, deaf ears, all to the truth of Jesus Christ. You see, it's only when we actually die to ourselves and we see Jesus for who he really is that we'll ever understand the fullness of what he offers us. So this week, when you read, reread Mark 8, look for yourself. Look for all those things that we talked about. More than anything, I want you to answer that question today. Who is Jesus? Know who he is. And then here's the next step for you. Tell your one about who Jesus is to you. Right? That no matter what it takes Tell your one about Jesus. You, you might mix in a little bit about, hey, this is my vacation to Hawaii and how it went, but you might want to also add in, hey, this is who Jesus is at the same time. Jesus, uh, he just told his disciples in the crowd something. Did you catch it? He says, take up your cross and follow me. Now there's two things to point out about this. Um, First is that by Jesus saying this, he's foreshadowing his crucifixion on the cross. But you should know that the cross, the crucifixion, was a known commodity to people. Rome used it all the time to murder thousands upon thousands of people over the years. So it wasn't special just to Jesus. And the people that, that were, were there, they would have seen crucifixions happen right in front of them. I mean, all the time. So they, they knew how terrible the, the cross really was. But the second thing is that knowing that they knew what that meant, Jesus tells them to pick up their cross and follow him. He's saying, hey, pick up your your electric chair, your gas chamber, your your lethal injection table, and, and, and follow me. But did you notice that he didn't say just do it one time? But he said, how often? Daily. Every single day. You and I, we choose to let our old life die on the cross. And instead, we pick up the life Jesus has given us what good is it to gain the whole world yet sacrifice your soul so we have this time every week where we come back to communion and to celebrate Jesus we're gonna commune in just a second we're gonna worship in just a second but I would just say have you answered that question Like, do do, do you know who Jesus is truly know who he is And if you don't, you'll never know peace. You you just won't. But if you know him, and if you give him all of your life, you are going to experience the fullness that God wants you to have, not just in this life, but the next life. And my hope and prayer is that we all know that, all accept that, and all give him everything that we have. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just ask right now in this moment, that you would move. That as we think about our life and we think about the things that we've done or maybe the things that we're wrestling with, God, I just pray, Father, right now, that in this space, that we wouldn't continue to carry those burdens ourselves and say, you know, we, I could figure this out on my own, but rather right now that, they, that those within the sound of my voice would wrestle with that question of who Jesus is. And God, I pray this, if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, but maybe today they can understand that Jesus is the Messiah sent from heaven to earth. He he lived amongst us. He, He lived a perfect life. He was tempted in every way, but yet without sin, Scripture tells us. And that sinless life was then crucified on the cross for us. He died on the cross. He was then placed into a tomb for three days, and then three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that not even death can hold him back. He promises us grace as a result of that. And he ascended to heaven to prepare a place for us and promises one day to come back for us. And so, Father, I just pray that if anybody has never claimed Jesus, that today would be the day. That they would repent of their past. They would embrace their future. They would realize it's not about how good they are, but it's actually how good God is that allows them to receive grace. And I pray that many would just say, Jesus, be my savior. I repented my past. I embraced my future. I just want you and you alone. And God, you're so gracious that you tell us if anybody claims Jesus, they'll follow him. They're written in the Lamb's book of life. And for all eternity, they're yours. But God, right now, allow us to worship you through communion, celebrate your son Jesus, sing, and really, really, really consider what part of me have I not given to you so that you can give me all that you have. We love you, we thank you, in your name we pray. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast.